It is so good to be back in church. And I don't know if it's just because I have two little kids, but if you're a parent in the room, it is impossible to see what we just saw without getting emotional and without feeling the weight of what's happening through moments like these. I love being a part of a church that's shaping the worldview of the next generation, but it's so cool to consider how many kids are going to grow up in the life of this church believing that Jesus is better than any other option they have for their life and having young people that they get to look up to the entire time they grow up and go, oh, wow, it's cool to worship. It's cool to pray. It's cool to be in community. I just get excited thinking about the potential of what we have the capacity to be a part of. If you missed last Sunday, we launched into a brand new sermon series to start a new year. It's called Views. Yes, it is named after a Drake album. That does not mean that I am a proponent of any of the content of that album. It's just a cool name. And we're talking about worldview. We're talking about what does it mean to have a gospel worldview. And if you missed last Sunday, I got to preach among some pews and stained glass windows, which was very out of my comfort zone. But it was so cool because I felt like that online gathering last week had some awe and wonder to it as we talked about the non-negotiables of a gospel worldview. We live, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, from scripture alone, for God's glory alone. And those truths are rooted in the Protestant Reformation from 500 years ago. But I felt like God wanted us to consider them as the things that we do not compromise on no matter how loud the world gets and no matter how loud the news gets, no matter how loud opinions from all around become. We have a worldview that's rooted in the scriptures. And when I use that term worldview, I'm talking about something so much deeper than your religion. I'm talking about the way you see everything about the world around you and the way you see your life. Everybody in here has a worldview. You have a lens with which you see what happens in your life and what happens in the world. And so you grow up and you're taught and you've got all these voices that help frame and shape your worldview. But ultimately, it's not just the voices that speak into you that shape your worldview. It's your response to the message of Jesus. So this is what makes me a little bit nervous is as we are raising kids in this church and parents in the room, you know this. We can do everything we possibly can to share the message of Jesus with them. We can make sure they attend every single vacation Bible school, that we shelter the type of content that goes into their mind. We can do everything within our power to make sure the Bible is taught to them. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, your worldview is not just about what information you learned. Your worldview is shaped by transformation. And so to have a gospel worldview... It's not just about learning about Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to see Jesus as better than every other option you have for your life. And what makes me nervous about that is none of us can control any of that for someone else. You can teach them. You can push them toward it. You can pray for them. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit has to open your eyes to see Jesus as who he is. And that's what we're believing God for to start 2021. i got to be honest. 2020 was a disappointing year for me as I watched Christians from around the world respond to what was happening. It's easy to be disappointed in Christians, okay? Easy target. It happens all the time. But I mean in regards to our worldview being exposed by everything that happened. As suffering was rising, as political tensions were rising, as racial tensions were rising, I watched Christians prove that the Bible is more of a resource to their everyday life than it is the source for how they see everything about the world around them. 
And the Bible is sort of this thing that we look to for consultation about, yeah, I mean, there's a verse about justice here, and there's a verse about this here, and maybe Jesus, yeah, Jesus would be doing this, and Jesus would be doing this, and the level of ignorance that a lot of people have about what it means to see the world through the lens of the Bible was alarming. The Bible is not just a resource that you consult when it feels convenient. The Bible is our source for how we interpret suffering, for how we interpret justice, for how we interpret everything around us. The problem with it is for many of us, the Bible sits on our shelves while the news gets turned up louder. And the louder everyone else's opinion becomes, the more easy it is to drown out what exactly God wants us to see and how exactly we are called to relate to the world around us. So here's what we need. We need a vision of Jesus. And in this series, we're going to be looking at different views of the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. But don't turn there. we got a Bible drill coming up. So we are trigger happy. You're like, oh, we're going to have a Bible drill. Hold on. I want to look at Mark because Mark is the most unique in style of the four Gospels. Matthew, Luke, and John are primarily written to what's called a Jewish worldview. So if you didn't know this, Jesus was Jewish born to the people of God as a descendant of David. And so most of what has to get ironed out when Jesus shows up is how does this Jewish Messiah provide salvation to the whole world, but also provide a connection to the covenants of people like Abraham and Moses and David. And so Matthew and Luke and John give this amazing picture of Jesus, not just as a Jewish Messiah, but as the son of God and the one who ushers in salvation to the world. Here's what's different about Mark. Mark is a fly-by, fast-paced view of the life of Jesus that's aimed at a Roman worldview. And what's different about a Greco-Roman worldview is that 2,000 years ago, when Alexander the Great basically united the majority of the world under one civilization, he united their worldview as well. Well, the Romans take over for the Greeks, and the whole world is looking at the world through a Greco-Roman lens. What does that mean? That means seeing the world as an opportunity to experience luxury on four different fronts. One would be healthcare, one would be education, one would be entertainment, and one would be athletics. And the idea was if your government can provide a system where those four things are flourishing, then we will have the life that we are looking for. Guys, that, that's the United States of America. These are the roots of our worldview as Americans. And so what Mark does is he brilliantly moves on from a lot of details that a lot of Jews would care about, and he just gets to quick things about the life of Jesus so that Jesus will be presented as the champion of the Greco-Roman system. Watch this. So Mark would say, oh, you value education? Here's Jesus teaching a group of people and blowing everyone away with how good of a teacher he is. Oh, you like healthcare? Everywhere this guy goes, everyone gets miraculously healed. He's the greatest doctor you could ever know. Oh, you like entertainment? Everywhere Jesus goes, the crowds are following him and they are amazed. There's a lot of talk in Mark about wonder and people going, oh my gosh, look at him, look at him. And then if you want athletics, you want a champion, how about this? Wherever he goes, the powers of darkness can't help but cry out who he is, the son of God. He's the greatest champion. He's the ultimate physician. He's a miraculous teacher. And so what he's doing is he's going, he's the one you've been looking for. But it's really hard for a Greco-Roman person to go, didn't he die on one of our crosses? And you're telling me he's the Messiah and the Son of God? And so what Mark does is in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's the only time in the whole gospel Mark gives you his opinion. The rest of it is just, look, Jesus did this, Jesus did this, Jesus did this. It's 16 chapters of immediately this and immediately this and immediately this, and then boom, Jesus dies, and then what are you going to do with that? 
He doesn't even get to the resurrection. That was added later. He gets to the resurrection story and basically says, the people were bewildered and afraid. He's leaving it up to you to go, hey, you've got to decide your worldview through the lens of what you are going to do with this man named Jesus. And even some of you who are here today who wouldn't call yourself a believer in Jesus, I would argue your worldview is still 100% influenced by what you do with this man. And so we're going to look to the Gospel of Mark. Before we turn there in our Bibles, I want to give you the title of this sermon. Are you all excited for views? Because I've waited a long time to preach this sermon series. It's going to go a little deeper than we're used to, but I think God's going to move in your life. This sermon is titled, Why Am I Here? Why am I here? Can you look at somebody next to you and ask them, why are you here? Like, why are you here right now? Be real. Be real. Isn't that like a really invasive question? Because we're all here. For different reasons, but at the end of the day, listen, when we talk about worldview, the question of why is always the best question to ask. Because the question of meaning is always where the Christian worldview rises above the rest. So when you consider worldview, a lot of this is impacted by science. And when you look deeply at the sciences and people who will tell you, no, we, can, we don't need Jesus. We can interpret our worldview through the study of facts and history and matter and space. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll interpret physical facts but not add any sort of interpretation or meaning on top of it. And I'll be honest with you. Science can take you really far in discovering some amazing things about the world that you live in. But I actually don't believe science and Christianity are at odds. I believe they complement one another. I believe science reveals how glorious our God is to be able to put us on a planet spinning through outer space, shining the sun on this planet and giving us meaning in relationships and, and an opportunity for life on this planet. I, I don't think they're at odds, but here's the thing. Science will never, ever try to answer the question of why. So some of you who are at Auburn University and you got those professors who are telling you that you're so ignorant and you're missing it with a Christian worldview, drive the conversation toward the question of purpose and they will never have anything to say. What's the, but, but why? I know you think there was a bang and I know you believe in macro and micro evolution and I know that there's all these things out there in the world this many years old and the Bible seems to be saying this. And by the way, all of those things are questions that can be talked about and ironed out. But at the end of the day, science and history have no way of giving an answer of why. You can study and study and study, but you will not find the answer. And that's why people who spend their entire lives trying to prove Christianity wrong, a lot of them end up surrendering their lives to Jesus because they go, at the end of the day, I couldn't find anything that told me why. I need to know why I'm here. Now, today's message is not so much about why am I here from a grand scale. It's more so about what is your why in your life individually? Because whether you know this consciously or subconsciously, your entire day, every single day you live on this planet is driven by your view of why you are here. Your whole life is a reflection of it. And I would argue that in 2021, motives are going to drive your experiences more than circumstances. You can write that down. Motives will drive your experience more than circumstances. So we think our lives are just a collection of what happens. But in all actuality, if you think deeper about it, at a deeper level, your motive when you enter into a situation usually ultimately dictates your experience. I'll give you an example. All of you are here today for a different reason. And if we asked you why you are here, your answer to that question is going to drive your experience here today. So if you showed up here and you're like, I am here because I need an encouraging message about the sovereign God of the universe, Jesus himself, and I need to be singing with the people of God, and I need to be joined with the people of God through prayer, and I'm ready. That's why I'm here. You know what's probably going to happen while you're here? 
you're probably going to be encouraged from the word of God, and you're probably going to be empowered to leave this place and live differently because you showed up with a why. But yet, someone else next to you, who their why of being here today is that someone dragged them here. Or their why of being here is, it's Sunday, it's what I do. You want to know what's probably going to happen in your experience here today? Well, that person has an experience where they encountered God, you will probably be here and nothing will ultimately shape something different happening this week. You'll check it off the box and move on. Not because that's what happened in this space, but because that was your intention entering into a space like this. If you're here and you're not here to actually have your life transformed by what's happening here, you're more here to critique what's happening from the stage, guess what you will leave with? a list of things that you could do differently or you wish we would have done differently. Your experience isn't driven by what happens right in front of you. It's driven by your motive. It's driven by your intention. And depending on what gathering you come to at Auburn Community Church, there's a lot of different motives. Ultimately, at the end of the day, God is sovereign and has his way. But what I'm trying to show you is this. Your life is more dictated by your ultimate why than anything else. And listen, advertisers know this about you. In the last few decades, advertising has shifted from trying to prove what products are the best to trying to prove which company has the coolest why. Do you think about Apple? Apple didn't end up where they are today because they had better phones and computers than everybody else alone. They ended up where they are today because they had a message that resonated with other people's why. And they said, listen, if you're innovative and you want to be on the cutting edge of what's happening technologically in the world, come and be one of us. That's what drives a human being to want to give their life and give their money to something, not just, hey, our stuff is better than their stuff. That's empty. That's surface level. But you go deeper and you go into the why and you can transform your life. Hey, guys, look up here. It's a new year. And I know some of y'all are thriving on the back end of making some New Year's resolutions. And you're like, I've been eating clean. I've been doing 21 days of prayer. I set my goals. I know people in this church who are like killing it on their New Year's resolutions. But here's what I also know is January 10th. And that fire is about to run out tomorrow morning. And so we make adjustments about our lives because we want to see personal growth through the lens of what do I need to do differently or who can I be? It's a new year. It's a new me. But it's always shortchanged. I would encourage you, don't let those questions drive 2021. Let the question of why. How do you answer that question? Why am I here? And I promise the fruit of your life will completely change. And to answer that question, I'm going to go to the word of God and show you Jesus's why in a story that I believe will transform our pursuits every single day. So now, finally, if you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up all over this room. It was a long winter break. It was a long time apart. I see those Bibles in the lobby, by the way. You guys are invited to be a part of this as well. If you are on the back side of 2020 and you've entered into 2021 and you are married you are engaged or you are in a serious relationship, turn with me to Mark chapter one, everybody else, Bible's in the air, like you just don't care because it's a new year, new you. Everybody turn with me to Mark chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 35. We're believing for God to do multiple things. Why are you here? Why are you here? Here's what you need to know about Mark, y'all. Mark was a close disciple, not just of Jesus, but of Simon Peter. So every story he tells in his gospel has Peter present because Peter was the primary eyewitness. He was also one of the primary eyewitnesses of Jesus for the gospel of Matthew. So a lot of Mark and Matthew will look very, very similar. 
But what you're going to have is you're going to have this quick fly-by view of the life of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1 alone, we don't even talk about his birth. We just jump right into his baptism and his ministry and his miracles, and people are following him. So by the time we're at verse 35, we're already into his ministry and rolling. And even as I read through Mark, I was like, gosh, I want to preach through this whole thing and talk through it. And I only have 30, sometimes 40, sometimes 50 minutes of Sunday, depending on how I'm feeling that week, to preach the word of God to you. So I told our team, I was like, we need more time to talk about the scriptures. And we need more time for me to not preach at people, but to like be conversational. And so I'm happy to tell you that this week we are starting a brand new podcast called the Grace Truth Podcast that's going out every Wednesday. And it's just conversations about real things that are happening in life. And so you'll be getting more details about that, but I just want you to know, I feel the need to say so much more, but we'll get to that during the week. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. If you're there, say I'm there. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Go back up to verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This is the most common daily discipline in the life of Jesus to get alone with God. And I just have to be real with you. This verse hits different during 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because there's a group of us who every day this week, we were up before the sun came up on our way to pray or praying together in our homes. And I only bring that up to say, we're seven days in, we're a week in, but it is not too late for you to jump in with us and see God do something new. And if you can't make it to this building, we have a Zoom link on our website. I think it is so powerful to actually share in Jesus' discipline of getting up before the sun even rises and getting into his presence. But watch what Jesus does. He gets alone to pray. You can tell he wants to get away from it all, but all of it finds him. And Simon brings a group, and he's like, hey, everyone's looking for you. We finally have what we wanted. We've got a movement. We've got momentum. We've got a lot of people who really, really want to hear what you have to say. So can you, can you put it on pause, whatever's happening in this space where you're being all lonely and being alone? Can you get back to the reason why you're here? And then Jesus, because of a moment of personal communion with God, calls for a change of direction and says, listen, we're not going to stay here. We're going to move on to the next town. I'm going to preach there. And that's why I have come. Now, if you look on the surface and read this, you might go, oh, Jesus's why is to preach his message to as many people as he can. And you would be right. That's part of his why. But when you read this passage, you have to look deeper than preaching. This is not driven by Jesus's purpose being preaching to a group of people. This passage is driven by Jesus praying when he's all alone with his father. Because Jesus knows I don't have the capacity to dictate my direction if I'm not connected to my Father through communion. And Jesus knows that preaching is powerful, but prayer is even more powerful. What do you mean? I mean this. Preaching moves people, but prayer moves heaven. Preaching moves people, but prayer moves heaven. And so like, what can happen when somebody preaches is powerful, even as I'm up here right now. When there is a servant of God illuminating who Jesus is from the scriptures, lives are changed, and it's amazing. 
But what's more powerful is when you get a group of people who's not looking to a speaker just to interpret God for them, but when the speaker joins the group of people to look up and call on heaven, that's when heaven makes a move. And that's when God does what only he can do. And I'm just dreaming in 2021 that this is not going to be a year about us accumulating a lot of people to listen to me. This is going to be a year about us joining together as one body, calling on heaven and Jesus to do what only he can do. And I believe ACC in 2021 is going to take spiritual ground that we've never taken before. Not because we got anything special going on, but because we know the special stuff happens when we hit our knees and call on God to do what only he can do. Prayer moves heaven. And if you want to move heaven with your life, it's about getting alone with God. And I'm just dreaming about the day that this is true for you and for me. Jesus' ultimate why was personal communion with his father. And even when all the other voices come to compete and say, hey, we need your attention on this. Jesus' view of his life was filtered through a connection to his father. And that is what gave him clarity to make moves and take steps where he was going. And so I want to tell you. The answer from cover to cover in the scriptures of why are you here? This might sound totally unimpressive and surface level, but it's true. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible's view on why you have breath in your lungs is a daily personal relationship with the God who made you. That's why you're here. That's why you have breath in your lungs right now. And it's so much deeper than that because we are worshiping and talking about and serving a God who's three in one. So it's one God, but God in and of himself is a community. He's a relationship. And when he created humanity, he said, let us make man in our image. And so when God made you, you know what he was doing? He was inviting humanity into the love relationship, this is going to sound creepy, that he enjoys with himself. God is love. He doesn't have love. So what God does in creating humanity is he takes the power of the Trinity and goes, let's invite this group of people into the communion that we share. Not that we will be God, but that we will be like him and be in a relationship with him where he can share thoughts and feelings with us and we can share thoughts and feelings with him and we can actually know him. And what broke this barrier was sin and it's the reason why Jesus came. So what's Jesus's why? To end any excuse or barrier we have for not walking with God daily. Your why is personal communion with Jesus. Praying and reading the word of God and knowing God. And here's why this sermon is so brutal for me to preach. This is a tough sell. Because right now, some of you are motivated about your one-on-one time with God like you never have been before. And you're like, I am... You're telling me the reason why I'm alive is my time alone with God. And it sounds so special and so magnificent and majestic when I'm on stage talking about it. But here's the reality. And here's why I say it's a tough sell. Because some of you, because of this sermon that you're hearing right now, are going to try it this week. And you're going to be really disappointed. And I want to go ahead and promise you that you will be disappointed. Especially if you get up at 6 a.m., I'll be honest with you, every week, every day I got up this week and met with God, we had some cool moments, but most of it was me praying and losing focus and thinking about things that don't have anything to do with God and going, God, it's 6 a.m., am I even capable of connecting with you this early? Is this even possible? Most of it was reading a passage of scripture 
getting to the end of it and then having to read it again because you weren't paying attention the whole time you were reading it. And so what's so disappointing about what I'm saying to you right now is that some of you are going to try this this week and you're going to go, that cannot be the reason why I'm on planet earth. Because the majority of the time when you get alone with God, nothing seems to happen. Like you pray and you say things out loud, you read things in the Bible, and then you start reading the Bible. And if you haven't been studying it for a while, most of it is very difficult to interpret or to understand enough to actually find something that applies to your life. And so most of your journey following Jesus consists of preachers like me getting in front of you saying, you got to pray, you got to read your Bible, and then going, I'm trying, but the fruit of that is me being bored and unfocused and walking away disappointed. You know, you, you live your life like this, you'll walk away from times with God disappointed more times than you will walk away blown away with your life changed. And that's a shocker for a lot of you for a pastor to admit that, but it's true. But the power of deciding that your why is personal communion with God has less to do with one individual time with the Lord and more about the residual effect of a lifetime spent in communion with God. When the Bible talks about personal growth, spiritual growth, it talks about it in terms that are very slow and subtle, like seeds that grow or seasons that change. And so when you live your life like this and make this your why, not for Monday and Tuesday and then lose focus, but over the course of years that turn into decades, you will look around at your life and be blown away with the fruit that is growing everywhere to change people's lives and change you from within. Everybody look up here and don't miss this. When I think about following Jesus for 20 years, coming up on 20 years since I said yes to Jesus, I look back and it's hard for me to even understand how God has done what he has done. Because I look back on 20 years of disappointment, self-righteousness, inconsistency, and selfishness. Like I think about 20 years, I'm like, yeah, all I really ever do is disappoint people, namely myself, struggle with discipline to get alone with God, be really selfish when it comes to relationships with other people. And then it's like the next year and I think I should be different, but I like keep doing what I always did before. And then I add new struggles to my former struggles. And it's like, oh, you're supposed to be growing to becoming more like Jesus. But I actually sometimes feel like becoming less like Jesus. The older I get, some of you are like, should you be a pastor? If you were honest, you'd say the same thing. And so I, I look back and I go, man, this goes from bad to worse to worse. And I, I get to a new year like 2021 and I want to change everything about me. I'm not that different from so many of you who look at your life and you go, that needs work, that needs work, that needs work, that's difficult, wow. But yet, I look at my life right now and all I see around me is fruit. I look around me, and this isn't me being arrogant, this is me being honest. I look around and almost every person who's connected to my life has a better relationship with God because they're connected to my life. And I go... This is kind of awesome. The impact I've had on my family, the impact I've gotten to have on people. It's not because of my job. It's because I've said yes to communion. I look at my girls and I look at my marriage and our marriage is healthy and we're falling deeper and deeper in love and we have struggles. But like it's, it's all great fruit coming out of my life. But yet I look at myself and I'm so disappointed. And you want to know what it is? God showed me this. It's because it doesn't matter how many seasons you spend inconsistent in your relationship with God. It doesn't matter how much you struggle going back and forth or how much you wish you could change. If you plant your life on the soil of communion with God, God will change everything over time. 
And so I look back and I go, even though I had seasons of struggle and difficulty, and even when I had times where God felt so far away, I never stopped praying and I never stopped looking to the word of God. And when you do that for a week, that becomes a month or a year. And I'm not talking about it has to be every day. I'm saying, this is your why. When I wake up in the morning, I know if nothing else happens today, I have to meet with God. And if I don't have that, I have nothing else. What did Jesus say? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You want to bear fruit with your life? you got to be connected, and that connection happens through prayer and through the word. So you want to look up decades from now and see fruit everywhere? You want to live a life that moves heaven? Pray when you don't feel like it and stay committed to the scriptures no matter what. God will show off. And I go, wow, this is amazing. You know what else he'll do? He'll frame your worldview. Our times alone with God are ultimately what decide how we see the world. And to prove that to you, all I have to do is show you a person who walked away from faith in Jesus. 2020 was a heartbreaking year for a lot of people. For me, I had a lot of conversations with people who walked away from their faith in God. And every time I have that conversation, I ask the same question. And the answer is the same every time. I say, okay, so you've been like struggling in your faith, or you've been reading into this new philosophy, this new religion, or you think there is no value in religion, whatever, whatever. I ask this question. In all of this discovery of this new you, how's your prayer life and how's your time in the Word of God? And the answer is the same every single time. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I stopped, I stopped doing that a while ago. And so I explained to him, I say, listen, you think you've arrived at this new level of intelligence and enlightenment where now you know better than God? But what actually happened is you fell away from communion and you're living in a state of ignorance about who God is. And now you think you're God and you're interpreting the world through the lens of your own opinion and what you think about everything else. The key to remaining in God is remaining in the going into more of God. And if I could just get like dangerously vulnerable for a pastor to do, you guys heard me talk about how exhausted I got last year. If you don't go into more of God for yourself and you keep trying to pour out what the Christian life demands in you, of you, you will end up depleted. But if you go back to the basics and go back to the root of what does it mean for me to have personal communion with God, you'll not only find yourself overflowing, but you'll be a part of this faith community that's shaking heaven with their prayers and their devotion to God. It's time, church. It's time. We've talked about it a lot. It is time for us to stop flirting with the idea of devotion to God. And it's time for some of you to stop being so embarrassed about the fact that you've been in church your entire life and you don't know how to pray. It's time for others of you to stop hiding behind all the youth retreats you went to and all the things that you were a part of and hiding the fact that you have no idea what you're doing when you pick up this book. I'm not saying this to shame you. I'm saying this is what makes communion so beautiful. Because as you're going deeper into who God is, and you're praying, and you're in the Word of God, and I'm in the Word of God, we come around one another, and we're able to use all of our gifts for the building up of this body. So you don't have to be ashamed. We need you to speak up and go, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what you guys are doing when you go off to get alone with God. I don't know what you're doing when you open this book. I don't even understand the structure of it. This is how the church was supposed to exist from the beginning. And then you're growing in your faith and I'm growing in my faith. And all this individual communion with God becomes this community that is causing revival through simply leaning on God to do what only God can do and getting out of the way. That's what we're dreaming about for 2021. But we, 
I was going to say, we can't do it without you. We can, and God will. Don't you want to be a part of it? Like, don't you want to be on the inside of heaven moving because people prayed? Personal communion, yeah, it's personal, but it's not private. And it's not meant to stay between you and God. And it never does because it's fruit that grows. Okay, I've said a lot of things about seeds and soil and fruit in this sermon. I've been leading up to this moment where I'm going to read the parable of the sower over you. And Jesus has many moments when he's teaching where he says things that don't make a lot of sense on the surface, and then he explains them. So the parable of the sower is one of those where if you heard it in passing, you'd be so frustrated. It's kind of like how frustrated you are after a quiet time where you didn't understand what the word meant. Like he says, he says, a farmer went out. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Farmer went out with some seed, and he, he, he threw it up, and some of it fell on the path, and a bird came and picked it up, and then some of it fell on rocky places, so it like tried to grow, but it couldn't because it didn't have a root. And then some fell among thorns, so it tried to grow, but the thorns choked it out. But then some fell on good soil, and it, it bore fruit 60, 100 times more. He who has ears, let him hear. And I'm like, man, if I was there 2,000 years ago, I'd been so mad. I'd have been like, why are you so confusing? Why can't you tell me what this means? Here's what's great about the gospel of Mark. Mark gives you Peter's inside view of Jesus. And so you get this moment where the disciples are going, Jesus, you keep telling these stories that we don't understand. Can you explain them? And Jesus is going to explain that parable. And when we ask the question, why am I here? I want you to know the why you decide that you are here is the soil that your life grows from. Let's make sure we're on good soil. Go over to Mark chapter 4 if you're in Mark chapter 1. Is this still good? Are y'all still with me? Okay, it's going to get better. Mark 4, 14. Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower. Here's what he says. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others... Like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word Accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Go back up to the beginning. Essentially what Jesus is saying in verse 14 is he says, the farmer sows the word. He's comparing the word of God going out through preaching to a farmer throwing up seed on different soil. Here's what Jesus is saying about this moment. In front of me right now or in the lobby at Overflow, there are four different types of people hearing this message. The first one's really unfortunate. The seed that fell on the path that got picked up by the bird. Jesus says, that's, that's just somebody who doesn't care. Some of you have been in church your whole life or you're here right now and you're not even paying attention to what I'm saying right now. And that's the enemy picking up what could grow if it was elsewhere, but it's just falling in a bad place right now. And maybe you've been in that bad place for a while and I would just encourage you if that's you right now, ask God to change the grounds of your life. But you can't receive what God has in this moment. He says, others fall on rocky places. They, they hear the word and they, they spring up with joy, but they, they wither away because they didn't have a root. I would call that one overly emotional Christians. As Christians who, were, I would say they rely more on how they feel than true devotion to God. 
They need the next worship experience, the next podcast, the next conference, or the next worship night to give them enough spiritual inertia to make it through. And it feels good in the moment, but as long as emotions stay the root of your faith, it will be short-lived, and you will run back and forth and shift like sand. Here's the power of communion. Communion is not just emotion. It's devotion added. And so... We're supposed to be emotional Christians. It's why we sing the way that we do at this church. We don't believe church or Christianity is supposed to be boring. If it is, it's not Christianity. Christianity is loaded with people who are passionate about God and feel something. But it's not just about the feelings. It's about even when I don't feel it, I'll pray. And even when I don't feel it, the Bible means something to me. And you combine emotion and devotion, you got communion with God. So I read about those two, and I was like, yeah, we got some people at ACC who are too reliant on emotions. And we got some people who Satan's just snatching up what God's trying to do. But most of us are the third seed Jesus talked about. Still others, verse 18, like seed among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. In my Bible, beside that verse, it says Auburn Community Church. That's us. Yeah, there's some who are on good soil, and we're going to pat you on the back at the end of this sermon. Some on the path, some on rocky places, but most of you are the seed that wants so badly to grow. And you're springing up, but then there's these other whys that storm in and choke out the possibility of what God could be doing in and through your life. And Jesus says, what are they? The worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. I'll simplify it. Three words that start with C. Jesus is saying your why, when you're choked out by thorns, is control, it's comfort, and it's completion. These are what most of you are waking up in the morning, whether you realize it or not, and this is your why. The pursuit of control, the pursuit of comfort, or the pursuit of completion. And so all I want to do with a couple of minutes I have to preach this sermon is take a shovel to the soil of your life and show you why none of these things are worth giving your next breath to. They're tempting and they're so easy to get choked out by. But don't you want to live a life that shakes heaven for the glory of God? Don't you want the one time you were alive on planet earth to actually matter for something? Don't you want to discover more than the scores of people around you who are wasting their lives on less? Don't you want more in this life? Don't live for these things. Number one, control. What did Jesus say? He said, people are living and they're distracted by the worries of this life. It's no secret. There is an anxiety epidemic going through the church right now, through the world right now. We had a suicide in our own city downtown last night. And I don't know all the details of that individual. You need to be praying for the family. But we all know this. Anxiety and depression are on the rise. You want to know what's at the root? What's the why of anxiety? Control. We want to be able to manipulate and control details that we can't. And so we stress, and so we stay up, and so we live our lives going, if, not, if I could just know, if I could just put my finger on that, I would have peace. Here's what we always say at ACC. True peace does not come on the other side of gaining control. True peace comes on the other side of surrendering control. You're actually not going to have peace if you got clarity about every little detail of your life, but you will have peace when you have clarity about the fact that you're not in control and it's a good thing. It's a good thing that Jesus is the one who sits as the sovereign ruler of the universe and you don't. Because if you were in control, you should be anxious. 
But because you're not, guess what you can do? You can live with the peace that a sheep feels about a shepherd when it goes, I don't know where my next meal is, and I don't know where I'm ultimately going, but I know the voice of the one who calls the shots, and he knows where he's going, and he's the one who holds my soul forever. He goes, guess what? Control has got to go. We cannot give our lives to this anymore. There is more to your why than waking up in the morning and freaking out all day about hypothetical things. Control has got to go. Number two, it's going to hurt worse. Comfort's got to go. Jesus said the deceitfulness of wealth. Why is wealth deceitful? Because wealth makes good promises about an untrue reality. Here's what I mean. I would spend my whole life trying to gain more comfort and gain more wealth if I wasn't going to live forever somewhere else. If this life was all there is, yes, go make as much money as you possibly can. Build as big of a house as you can. Go on as many trips as you can. Live your life for stuff because this is all you got. But I have a gospel worldview, and I have a worldview that says, if this stage was eternity, I would not be able to show you with a magnifying glass what this life is compared to where we will spend all of eternity. So why would you spend your why on just accumulating more comfort? And listen, I'm not saying having stuff is bad. Auburn, Alabama, we, this church is connected to a lot of people who have accumulated a lot of stuff. Stuff is not bad. Using that stuff for the pursuit of your personal comfort is bad. Stewarding that stuff for where we are going to live forever and ever is the reason why you have it. And so you don't have it to comfort yourself. You have it to comfort others and get others into the kingdom of God. So don't wake up in the morning and serve at the altar of comfort and spend the rest of your life with the pursuit of more. Don't be deceived by that. See that you are going to live and die faster than you know. 2020 should have showed you that. So control's got to go. Comfort's got to go. Number three, and this is where I go back and forth living so many times, completion. Completion, Jesus said, the desires for other things. Here's what God did when he created you. God created you to want things. God created you physically, emotionally, and spiritually to have real desires. What sin does is it gives a distortion of the completion of that desire and the fullness, and it gives you a cheap version that actually makes you more empty in searching for more. So when you have desires for other things other than God, that desire at the core of your soul is for the reason why you exist, a relationship with your heavenly father, but you fill it with alcohol or you fill it with a habit, or you fill it with a relationship, or you fill it with a career, or you fill it with something else. And what you'll find is the void doesn't get satisfied. It gets bigger. And over time, your why ends up being the endless pursuit of things that will only ever leave you empty. And Jesus goes, come to me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You want to feel complete? Jerry Maguire was wrong, y'all. A person will never, some of y'all are like, what? It's a good movie. A person will never complete you. You have a desire at the core of your soul for God. One of my favorite resources in the world is called Desiring God. Because the whole idea is your soul is hungering and thirsting for God more than anything else. And when you feed your soul what it truly desires, that's the only way to true completion. And so here's what's got to go. Control's got to go. Comfort's got to go. And living for completion and fulfilling your desires any other way than God has got to go. So what's left? 
You guys know I pick one word over my life every year. This year was difficult because I knew God was leading us into more of him through devotion, through time in the word and through prayer. And I was like, it's devotion. My word for 2021 is devotion. And I felt God being like, bro, like I'm all about devotion, but I'm not a drill sergeant. I, I love that you're devoted to me. But I'm not here to make it an obligation to your life. I'm here to sit at the table and have a meal with you. So my one word, and what I would argue is the one word answer of why are you here, is communion. You were created for communion with God. What is communion? Communion is the intimate sharing of spiritual thoughts and feelings between one and another. God formed your physical existence so that he could know you and you could know him. Jesus said, John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you. Don't waste your life on any other pursuit other than personal communion with God. And some of you will read that word and you'll go, whoa, we weren't created for communion. We were created for glory. We were created to worship. We were created to, to do good works in him. Doesn't the Bible say that? Yes, yes. But those things are the fruit. The root is communion. You don't give glory to God if you're not rooted in a love relationship with God. And you can't let the whole world know who Jesus is if you don't know him for yourself. It begins with communion. And that's why in this moment, I wanted us to start 2021 taking communion together. Maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't, and we had to add a lot of other chairs, so this moment might take a second, but there's a set of communion under your seat right now. You can grab it, and if they don't have it, somebody on our team needs to go around and make sure they pass them around. I just got to the point where I was so tired of COVID keeping us from being able to walk up and take communion. I'm like, let's just drop these sets under all of their seats. Some of you, it might take you a second to actually open it up and realize like there's a little, there's a little piece of a cracker on the top, and then there's a juice beneath it. But you can go grab those and get set right now. I gotta set this up for you though, because it's more than a cracker and juice. This is us remembering what Jesus came to do. The night before he died, he held up the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he held up the wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Why does he want us to physically remember that? Because he wants us to remember that communion with God is not something we have to pursue and achieve anymore. It's something that's been given to us in Jesus. So if you've received that gift, this is your opportunity to remember, I know why I am here. It is to know him and pursue him. And the band's gonna come up here and play. And some of you need to take this moment to not just take communion for yourself, but some of you need to pray over your wives because you haven't so far in 2021. And I'm not saying that to shame you. I'm saying that because you got a chance right now. Let's go toward communion with God together. Some of you need to pray over some of your best friends that you're sitting around. I don't know what that looks like for you individually, but this moment is between you and God. And I've taken communion every day this week and every time I taste that cracker and I taste that juice, I love remembering that my life does not depend on me. It depends on Jesus bringing me to my Father and it's been completed and all I have to do is remember it and rejoice in it. So let's have communion with God. Let me pray over this moment. Father, I pray as we remember the Lord's Supper and as we sing to you, that we would never give our lives to a why that's less than the reason why we were formed by your hands. 
in the name of Jesus, God, awaken a church here in Auburn that is not content to sit in their seat. Let us fall off of our seats onto our knees in adoration before you. God, God, I just, I pray for those who are like on the fringe right now of living their life for you. And this seems like a crazy message from a guy on a stage right now, but they feel your Holy Spirit prodding them right now. God, would you just let them surrender? Don't let them waste their life on comfort. Don't let them waste their life on anything less than knowing you. I'm begging you to do that in this room right now, God. We give this time to you. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And we commit as a church that wants to walk intimately with you, God. Keep us in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can take communion and then we'll sing in just one second.